Welcome everyone to Fergo and the Freak. I'm your host, the Glorious League Freak. This is episode 357, and we have a very special guest. We have Jason Lassie, who you've probably seen on Twitter. He runs a Twitter account called Sports Industry, and he keeps up to date with a lot of the uh, goings-on in TV deals within Sport in Australia and a lot of business deals that happen with Sport in Australia. So I thought we'd get Jason on to talk about what is reported to be the latest broadcasting deal with the NRL, um, what he thinks of it, who were the players who weren't the players, and what he sees as the future for broadcasting in Australian sports. So thanks for coming on, Jason. Not too easy, man. Pleased to be now, here. Now, you, uh, where did you first start to get an interest in what was going on in Australian sport? Because you follow it, you follow all of the sports, which I find interesting in terms of what they're doing from the business side of things. And normally in Australia, you get to see people that either follow one or two sports or they, they sort of are interested in the business side of the sport they mainly follow. But it feels like you're a fan of the business side of all sports. Yeah, look, I started off as an AFL fan, and many people still think of me that way. Although lately, it seems to be I've joined the rugby league fraternity of uh, of people um, outed on Twitter some months ago. But the, I, I sort of lost interest in in the on field stuff. The game, the game itself, unless my actual teams are playing and. You know, for me, that means Carlton or Brisbane, uh, the Broncos, that is, uh, or uh, the Bulls in Queensland. Unless they're, unless they're actually playing, I, I don't really have any interest in the neutral games, the games that don't involve my teams anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of sad. But on the other hand, I, I kind of switched into the data side of things. And so that's really all I care about now is data. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, it's looking at TV deals. It's looking at the finances and things like that. And it, the other reason that came about is because uh, I had some disagreements about, oh, it'd be about 10 years ago now, uh, I, I wrote some very foolish things up for the Raw website back in the day and really didn't know what I was talking about. And so, you you know, from them that on, you want to be kind of, uh, if you're going to have a code war, you're going to have to be armed with uh, the right material. So, oh, okay. I see where this is going. So much, yeah, it's not so much about the code war anymore, so much as it's just about making sure that uh, in the process, you find out that like, there's data that's no longer available because websites change and people don't archive stuff as much anymore. And so, there, and, and some stuff just isn't accessible to people. Not everyone wants to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars a year buying annual reports and trying to, you know, for five seconds worth of data that might tell you a, a specific line of, you know, revenue or profit that you're interested in. Mm-hmm. So my my aim is to, if I do that, then that information is accessible to everyone. And so it's, it's about having the information out there for everyone so everyone can have a better informed code war going forward. <laughs> and one of the things I've noticed with the tweets you make, it the data, it, you just put the data out. Like you don't, a lot of people try and slant data to serve whatever argument they're having, whether it's one way or the other, and you just put the data out. And that's one of the cool things about your feed on Twitter. And I think that's why you've got such a great following, because you're not trying to start arguments or anything like that. You're just saying this is what's going on. And like, obviously, 
people take your the data that you put out there and make arguments of their own. But you personally, it's just the raw data, and that's why I like it. People tell me a lot that they don't subscribe to anything I write on various forums or on Twitter because of my opinions. <laughs> so it's 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 a, it's about the data that I, I I put out and the data that I have, the tables that I have, things like that, and so. That, that is what it is. I mean, we all have differences of opinion and some of mine are pretty far out there at times, but mm-hmm. uh, the data is the data. I mean, it's either up, it's down, it, but it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't lie and anyone can generally find it if they look hard enough. Now, looking at just an overall picture of where rugby league's out financially, and I know that's a giant thing I'm asking you to look at, but just generally, how do you think the NRL competition itself is going financially? Do you think that it's in an all right position? Do you think that it is something that is put forward as being in a better position than it actually is in? Or do you think it's in rude health? Like, what's your thoughts on that? I think it's in good shape. Um mm-hmm. I mean, it's come out of COVID pretty well. I mean, regardless of whether you buy into the Volandis uh, uh, theocracy or not, it's, it's you know, it, it does appear to be in good shape. The accounts show that. Everything shows it. Um, there's, there's no reason to believe it's not. The only different, the only thing is the figures, whether you believe the actual figures that are coming out, if there are figures at all. And all we're at the moment getting from league headquarters is vague, mm-hmm. vague things because they don't want to tell anyone what they're putting out. They don't want to tell anyone. And they're hiding data which we haven't had hidden before. So it makes it hard to make a really informed decision. But from a broad aspect, it looks like it's in good health. And the clubs seem to be coming good because of it as well. So across the board, um, it, it seems to be in good shape. And, and you can tell it's in good shape because the league, for the first time in since, what, 2007, looks ready to expand. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's always a good sign that the league feels it's in comfortable health. Yeah, and like... I know when some people and there's always this thing that it's funny clubs always need more money and yeah, they've, always. They've, they've always needed more money my entire life when they were getting no grants they needed more money when they were getting three million dollars they needed more money now they get 13 million dollars and they still need more money and so I tend to not listen to the clubs to know where we're at in terms of the financial stability mm. of them. And I've always said a, a, the ideal club doesn't have a dollar left at the end of the year because that's a dollar they should have spent on development. Mm. Um, and, but in terms of how much money is in the game now compared to, say, 10 years ago, it's chalk and cheese. It's just a completely different beast. Mm. And now we've had the independent commission and we're getting real TV deals, even a bad TV deal now is so much more better than the TV deals we did basically between, uh, you know, the NRL being formed in 1998 to when the Independent Commission come in. So I've always felt like even when people say the game's not in great financial health now, it's it's like it's a comparison to where it used to be. It's it's always going to be in a better state. with the expansion of the competition, there's been a lot of critics saying going into Brisbane is not great expansion, but it seems to be something that the broadcasters needed in Brisbane for having local relevant content. Can you maybe expand a little bit on that? 
there's there's no risk in it. Like there's one team in Brisbane and it rates pretty well. There's no question about it. It rates highly. Um, nothing else rates anywhere near it except maybe test matches in the summer. But even then, it's it's it, it'd be doubtful. So what you're looking at is you're looking at uh, the the broadcaster Channel Nine and Fox. They're they're looking to shore shore up those ratings week to week. And the deal that they've struck evidently gives Fox some uh, exclusive Broncos games, which they've been wanting for ages because they're all on nine normally. So the audience just isn't there. And when you see this reflected in the AFL and its deal as well, where Fox was arcing up because it can't get exclusive games into WA and SA, which is a similar market for them. So it's protecting, it's about getting that audience signed on every week, every week, every game. The more games you can have in the heartland, the more games you're going to broadcast mm-hmm. to a wider audience. So the NRL and the, the broadcasters, they've shorn up. There's literally no risk. It's a win-win thing for the broadcaster. It's a win for the NRL. There's no risk involved. There's no money going to be lost here. Mm. Redcliffe are going to – I'm not going to say they're going to make squillions of dollars off the bat, but they're, they're not going to lose money. Yeah. And with the – with the deal that they're doing with Nine, and it's not official yet that I've seen, but no. it's been it's been reported that the deal is down about sixty million dollars a year on the previous deal that was in place before COVID hit, and a lot of people are blowing up about that. Um, I pointed out on the pod, the last podcast we did that. The Australian television market's changing a little bit, and it seems like ratings are down for almost everything overall. Um, is is that the case for sport going forward in Australia in terms of the last TV deals that were done for most codes and most sports? They were really, really big, and now everyone's going to have to take a step back? Or do you think that this deal that Channel 9 has done or has reportedly done with the NRL is simply just less what's 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 amusing about the nine deal is that it's it's reported as imminently done and then you've got like two days later the same paper reporting that well you know may, maybe it isn't done yet mm. and uh the nrl guys are going hang on a minute it's not done yet seven is still in it no one's pulled out yet we're all we're all still done <laughs> nothing's down nothing's been signed we're all we're all still good here people chill out relax because the last thing uh last thing anyone wants is a report getting out that uh that there's no competitive tension involved in the bid. They're going to try and make nine pay 20 million a year more than it wants to. Mm-hmm. And that's going to upset some clubs because the clubs, as you mentioned, they want more money. Everyone expects more money. And whether that's going to be there or not from nine in particular, whose ratings have massively dropped over the journey. Mm-hmm. Although they did have an uptick this year. Uh, but over over the over the last ten years, you can you can see the drop. Like the drop is well down. Um, but on the other hand, the streaming ratings and everything else, they're right up. So whether Nine can balance it with uh, their ratings on uh, on Nine now, and whether they can get any of those games onto Stan, mm-hmm. that that's an interesting proposition going forward. Because the streaming ratings this year, we have we believe because we haven't had any data since round ten for the NRL. Uh, since Magic Round, when they told us that the Fox Group ratings were averaging 374,000 a game. So we know that figure is up, and we know that figure is well up. And if you extrapolate that over the year, it just blows everything away. Yeah. So there could be money there. No one knows what the Fox deal is either. Yeah. 
Uh, no one's telling anyone anything. We won't know anything until annual reports come out. And the way the data is being produced now uh, in the annual reports means we probably won't know an exact figure. So is is there the possibility that the Channel Nine deal might be for for less? But the and because I'm the thing that confuses me is Channel Nine obviously is interested in the streaming rights because I I tend to think that that's a lot of people are. They're trying to get in that position where they're the streaming partner of the NRL. But obviously, KO has the streaming rights. Mm. So who are they going to fall to? Because they'll both want them. Well, the media was reporting a couple of months back that Nine were holding non, uh, the non-exclusive rights to the games that Nine already broadcasts. So the deal at the moment works where KO broadcasts every game and Nine broadcasts the three games that they have. Mm-hmm. That was part of the deal where Fox bought the simulcasting rights uh, as well as Saturday night games from Nine, uh, I think, for about $45 million back in 2018 when the first um, when the deal was first signed. So what happens now is you've got non-exclusive rights being owed to Nine uh, or whoever signs the free-to-air deal that are available for anyone to broadcast. Mm-hmm. So Nine could theoretically stream these on Stan, even though they haven't been so far. They've been streaming them on Nine now. So whether they can stream them on Stan as well, I don't know. But it would be a feather in Stan's cap if they could pull that off. Mm. And and so is there the possibility that Nine could end up paying less for their side of the deal, but down the track we find out um, Foxtel has paid more on their end of the deal? Anything's possible. Yeah. Uh, they, they haven't. They just have not told anyone that I've seen anywhere any indication of what the amount is. There's been vague reported amounts of what it could be. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been a total amount of two billion waggled around, but I mean, no one really knows. the The data's not out there. Vlandis is flat out telling people he's not going to tell anyone. So you you just don't know. There's a possibility that Foxtel are paying st- stacks more than they were before. Yeah, but. You know, and, and we already know that, well, and it's been reported that they're paying an extra 70 to 100 million for the rights to the Redcliffe game. So, yeah. you just don't it, know. Yeah, it's weird. It, it really, it's funny that you're saying this because this time around, I haven't followed the TV deals as closely as I did the last couple of times because I thought that the jump up in TV deals once we got the independent commission in, I thought it was really interesting the story and, and how it was all going to change things. And there seemed to be, as you say, there was a lot that was put out in the public last time around. And this, this time I don't know what's going on. And that's why I wanted to have you on because you're, you're as up to date on a lot of this stuff as anybody that I've seen online. And I, I wanted to talk to the best person I thought to talk about with all of this stuff. So it's interesting that, like it's something that you've even had problems sort of getting the information that you would normally get. It's it's the the ARLC when they came when they were introduced in 2011 at the end of 2011 they they put out a wealth of information. The, the annual reports from 2012 to 2016 are just a wealth of information that you could not dream of now. And I, since 2016, it has gradually reduced and reduced and reduced, and there's just it's borderline useless to determine anything uh, comparing it to previous years now. The data just is not there uh, for reports and things like that that you would like to see that we can get from anyone else's reports. We can pull broadcast data from Cricket Australia. We can pull it from the AFL. We can pull it from 
Rugby Australia. We can pull it from Football Australia, but we can't get it from the NRL. Do you, do you think that that sort of secrecy, I, I know it's not great for, um, I guess, public interest, but do you think that that's a better way to go about it for an individual sport to play their cards close to their chest? They're, they're under no obligation to release information to us. Um, and that's, I mean, it's frustrating for those of us that like to have the information, those of us that want to discuss the information, those of us that just like to have an idea of what's going on in terms of broadcast information and rights and how they compare, how they stack up to everyone else and even how they stack up internationally. And when the information has been available for so long and then it's taken away from you, <laughs> it can be quite annoying. Mm-hmm. But they're well within their rights to do so. I mean, you can't begrudge them. That they, they, they put out the data that they do. They don't have to put out much of it. Uh, the accounting standards don't require them to specify specific revenue streams at all. So that's, you know, that's just something we have to live with. If they don't want to tell us, we can't force them to. I assume the clubs get that data. But, again, who knows? Now, with the free-to-air rights, we'll – well, guess that they're not completely done and dusted yet. Although I did read on Channel 9's, uh, one of their newspaper outlets, that they were, funnily enough. I always loved reading the, the media and the way that they cover their own negotiations with the NRL for broadcasting rights. I think it's brilliant. Um, let's pretend that these rights aren't done and go through the three main contenders that are either part of the chance to get the rights or not. We'll start off with Channel 7. Is there any possibility that Channel 7 would look to purchase the free-to-air rugby league rights? I know there's been a lot of talk before that they would love to just get state of origin rights, which is a lot of people call it the jewel in the crown of the rugby league rights because it's basically three grand grand finals worth of ratings that you can put on a Wednesday if you want to. Mm. Um, Tell me what you think the position of Channel 7 would be to the NRL rights. I've no doubt 7 did look at going for Origin. Mm -hmm. Um, Origin is a massive, a massive deal. And like you say, it's it's three grand finals worth of rights that you can show midweek or on a Sunday. Like these are ratings dead periods for sports. So, these are all and they're high rating things and they sell massive amounts of advertising so yes i've no doubt that uh seven did look at it i've also no doubt that nine went hang on a minute this is because they they have said in the past that this is a large part of why they had the free-to-air ratings Mm -hmm. because uh the nrl ratings without these aren't worth as much i can't remember the exact figure but i'm I'm almost certain it was like around 2012 or something. They were being reported at like 20% of the ratings value for uh, free to wear. But don't quote me on that. Mm-hmm. And please, please, people listening, don't shoot me. <laughs> it's not right. I'm being very vague right now. Now, we know we kind of know Channel 9's position to a certain extent. Um, yeah. They're pretty, it seems like they're pretty keen to keep the rights. Uh, if they lost the NRL rights, they don't it seems like they like to have a flagship sport Mm. they once had the cricket and the rugby league and to be kind of left with just the australian open tennis rights it it feels like it's a position that nine would not like to be left in so we kind of know where they're at at the moment now channel 10 what are your thoughts on channel 10's possibility of looking at getting the nrl rights I don't believe they were ever a serious chance. 
uh, you look at uh, you look at ten strategy of late. It's all been uh, it's all been football. You look at and, and it's not just in Australia. You look at Paramount and CBS's uh, acquisitions over in the US and internationally, and you're talking it's all soccer. Everything is soccer. They have gone all in on soccer. Um, they have rights in the US that they haven't been able to get here. Uh, they are going to be a massive, massive chance for the EPL rights when they come up. They signed FAE Cup rights. Uh, they announced those uh, yesterday. Um, they've got access to Champions League, which, you know, this is uh, the A-League, the W-League, the national teams. This is all, and they're promoting the hell out of it. You can, they, and they have, they have said at the announcements, they're all in on soccer. Mm-hmm. There's no, I, I, I'm told and I believe that there is no way that they were at all interested in rugby league. I think it's too pricey for them. I don't think they can afford it. Um, I don't think uh, the head company in in, uh, in the US would pay for it. I think the same thing about the AFL. Um, I don't think it's worth their time. They're going all in on massive super Saturdays of soccer and things like that, and that just rules them out of anything that uh, was going to be happening. So... How, how do you think – because that, t- to me, feels – and I, I hope I don't upset any soccer fans when I say this. And I, I'm sorry I call it soccer. I love the sport of soccer growing up, and that's what we called it, you know? Yeah. Um, It feels like it could be pretty risky for them in terms of if they're, if they're looking at putting up soccer against uh, AFL and rugby league during the weekends and they're all in on it, it feels like it's a pretty risky strategy for them if that's the way they're going. They have nothing at the moment, though. Yeah, that's that's, good that's the thing. They, 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 their life sport during the winter is down to very little. Um, they don't have the car racing anymore. Um, that's that's on seven. They don't have anything. There's no. Uh, they don't have the rugby union. That's on. Uh, that's on nine. Uh, and stand so that this is about partially driving people to the Paramount Plus streaming service, which is also uh, which is just released. So there's a, it's it's risky, but is it that risky? I mean, Optus took out Optus Sport took out the EPL rights, and they're apparently very happy with how that's going. Mm-hmm. And and they've basically got the uh, uh, the EPL and uh, the Champions League at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, actually, they don't have Champions League. Champions League's gone to stand. So there's, no. there's people, people. The, oh, the soccer, the soccer broadcast uh, landscape is just fragmented all over the place. It's glorious to see, really, <laughs> from a, from a, from a, from an industry perspective. You just there, every everyone has a piece of the pie at the moment. Uh, I, I I know that. Uh, oh, there was a game. I can't even remember who it was, but I I watched it. Uh, it was a few months ago, and it was. You could you could just log in and watch it on Optus uh, streaming or through their website. It was pretty cool actually, mm. and it was it was almost like a welcome and have a look at what we've got moment for them. Yeah, and uh, and I thought that was pretty cool. But I noticed at the time while I was looking into how I could watch the game, how upset soccer fans were that it was so fragmented, and I saw people like tallying up how much it would cost if you wanted to watch all the competitions in Australia. And it was, it was pretty pricey. Yeah. I think, I think I worked it out on Twitter to about $78. Oh, would be wow. the cheapest possible way to watch every football game you could want. That's crazy. Um, but that, I mean, we're talking like some really like small competitions and stuff like some yeah. really remote South American stuff. And, 
um, stuff on Sports Week and, and Optus and Stan and Paramount and everything else. It was on, and and then uh, be in stuff on Fox or Fetch. It was going to cost you like yeah, like eighty dollars. That's crazy. Um, with this, and that was with discounts. So. <laughs> You know that, that it wasn't. It's not a great look if you're a big fan. But I mean, who watches thirty games of soccer a week? So it, it it's it's yeah, it's it's six to one, half a dozen the other. Yeah, true. Um, now it's it's interesting. Not too long ago, if you wanted to watch your sport, you either had to have an aerial or a little black box. And now it seems like there are about fifty thousand different ways you can watch sport. Mm. I know in the last couple of years. I've been uh, getting NBA League Pass, which is fantastic. I know some people don't like it. They don't think it's great service. I've never had a problem with it. I, I've, I think it's amazing that if you get the entire League Pass, you can watch any game you want. I tend to now just stick to my watching my Houston Rockets. Um, there's a lot more players in the market in terms of streaming. How do you think that's going to go? Because it feels like, it feels like in 10 years from now, I wouldn't be shocked if we're watching games on YouTube or we're watching games on Twitch. Like you could convince me that we, we could be watching games on anything. How do you think that that's going to play out? Well, if you look at, uh, say, soccer again, uh, I mean, they, the A-League broadcasts their games on YouTube, or at least they did until this deal, uh, to overseas markets already. So if you're not in Australia, you can watch A-League games on YouTube. I don't know if that's still the case under the Paramount deal. I'd be surprised if it was. Um, so it is possible to do it. I'm, I mean, for like if you look at AFLW games, they're broadcast on the AFL website, they're broadcast on 7+, and they're broadcast through KO mm-hmm. and through Watch AFL Overseas. So... Yeah, there's plenty of scope to broad. Uh, Twitch is one that I don't think many of the Australian teams are broadcasting through at the moment. Didn't but, the NBL broadcast a couple of games on Twitch about a year and a half ago or something like that? They might have, and yeah. they're, they're, they've signed up with Ten and Paramount recently as well. So, mm. um, is it might be Ten and Fox? I can't remember. The uh, yeah, because it, it like that's the thing that I find interesting. But, are you all right? Yeah. That's the thing I find interesting is that we've gone from basically having a handful of players in the broadcasting market to, like, we might have 12 next time around. Yeah, well, we could. I mean, there's no no shortage of streaming services coming up and running, and there'll be more. And yeah. some, of these, some of these local players overseas, they're going to look at, like, taking their product global because why sell locally if you can keep all the product yourself? Yeah, true. Now, one of the things I found interesting in the last couple of years is Formula One uh, were bought by a private equity company and their strategy on YouTube went from basically kill everything with fire that has to do with Formula One to let's put as much content as we can that's not a live race or live qualifying onto to YouTube and it's it's been an amazing change for a Formula One fan to see the difference. Do you think that more sports need to think about that balance between protecting their their commercial broadcasting rights and getting as many eyeballs as they can onto not only their product, 
but their the team sponsors and their competition sponsors because I know the NBA was probably a leader in that in terms of they just want they, they just want as many eyeballs as possible and it's worked out really well for the NBA over the last 30 years do you think we'll see Australian uh, competitions start to go that way or do you think that they'll still be a little bit insular with that sort of thing they're, they're dragging their feet a little bit like NBA teams, some of the bigger bigger clubs over there, they're all into like your, your social media aspects, and I'm talking all all aspects of social media. So they're on TikTok, they're on Instagram, they're all over the they're all over the place everywhere. And to an extent, clubs are here, but nowhere near to the same extent. Mm-hmm. And they're gonna we're gonna see that ramp up. That is just gonna keep hitting. Sooner or later, clubs are gonna realise they can't just take their members. And, and supporters for granted, uh, and they're going to actually have to put some effort in. Some clubs are already part of the way there, and some clubs are a long way behind. But they will all catch up, and the leagues will come with them if they don't drag them with them. Yeah, because, like, I know as a Rockets fan, I I haven't been able to watch their preseason games in full, but I've been able to watch every single quarter and the highlights of every single quarter, and it's like 10 minutes of footage and that has been put up before the halftime is over. Like, it's incredibly quick the way the NBA does it. And I just can't believe that other competitions in in Australia aren't looking at it and saying, look how it's working for them. We might be able to do something for us. But I, I would guess that a lot of that is also driven by their broadcasting partners who obviously want to close shop. Mm. I know the, the AFL on their website, you can access all the highlights almost immediately after the game is done. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if you can uh, during the game or earlier in the game. But they are generally pretty good in getting highlights up on Twitter. One of the, uh, the, the AFL strengths is that they do do a lot of stuff on, on media. And the NRL has been pretty good at it as well. But uh, where seven is very proactive in that department, nine hasn't been, which is, of course, one of uh, the NRL's complaints to nine during these broadcast negotiations is that they haven't been proactive. Um, so it's it's how cooperative your league can be with the broadcaster. And I think what we're going to see with the soccer coming through this year is we're going to see a massive promotion or aspect coming through for that uh, for for the A League as well. And you're going to see, and everyone's going to be looking at nine next year, going, well, this is what you've got to aim at. You've got to deliver this. Because we're already seeing the benefits for ten. Ten mm-hmm. are promoting everything, everything soccer related through their programming, through you know their their news programs, through their current affairs stuff, uh, their the project, you know things like that. It's it's coming through everywhere. Nine have got to deliver, and yeah, I mean seven already seven have done this for the AFL for years, and nine have, you know, NRL supporters have been looking at seven, going, well, they do this for the AFL. Why aren't nine doing this for the NRL? Yeah, it's uh, it's frustrating, and especially when you look at uh, it, like just their their game presentation and their commentary. I mean, it, it's when you line it up, I believe against what Fox Sports does, it's it seems very dated and very poor, and really needs updating. Like they could do with a whole new team of a whole new commentary team, uh, new experts. It just feels as though it's very stale. Honestly, I think broadcasters should be forced to change, like, production staff and presenters every time they do a new deal. 
point. <laughs> Every five years, you should just have to roll over a completely new stuff and put a completely fresh look out there. Otherwise, you end up with the same talking heads boring the same viewers that have been watching the same boring production for 20 years, 30 years. When did Nine Star Broadcasting? 40 years. Mm. So, you know, it's... it's I mean, we we complain about it with the uh, with the AFL and uh, AFL coverage. NRL supporters complain about it with the NRL and NRL coverage. And Fox is kind of the only uh, KO and Fox have only been the, the real saving grace for both in many respects because they they introduce new people all the time. Yeah, and and it's uh, like some of them aren't great at it, and some of them you, they turn out to be pretty good at it, but. It is. It's. It's a nice change from. I mean, like some of the like literally Channel Nine is talking about how um, Peter Sterling is retiring after like thirty something years doing the job, and and he was very good at it. But you just sometimes you like to hear a new, a new voice and a new perspective rather than hearing Phil Gould tell you that he knew what was going to happen ten minutes before it happened, and it it just gets very old. One thing you must see. Uh, being a follower of both sports, are complaints about halftime entertainment from NRL fans and AFL fans saying that the halftime entertainment is better in the opposite code. Uh, it, look, everyone's got their own personal tastes on what the, mm. the halftime entertainment, whether it's the grand final or any other event. There's, it's it's very subjective. People, mm. Some people like it, some people don't. The vocal majority are out. Uh, the vocal minority, sorry, are out there on Twitter and social media, complaining five seconds after or during or whatever. It's it's very hard, really, to say who's better and who's worse yeah. in that in that kind of regard. In that kind of regard, I mean, for me, footy's at uh, you know footy's at its best when, if, at least in the AFL, when you've got the juniors running around, you've got the Auskick kids halftime, mm-hmm. kicking the footy around. That's 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 the halftime entertainment for me to gain. Yeah, yeah for, I don't for go. Me, I don't do the game. I don't do the game for me, it is uh, ma- any sort of mascot relay. I mean, I'm completely yeah, yeah. committed to it. And yeah, out- I don't mind a good sprint. That's, yep. You know, as long as no one's breaking their legs like they did at the Panthers like five or six oh, years yeah. ago. That's, That's probably why they don't do these things anymore. Yeah. Um. Now. NRL Digital was basically wound up recently as part of the new broadcasting deals, it seems. Um, and we, we found out, or it was reported in the media, I should say, that the media partners of the NRL weren't happy that they felt like they were um, having to compete against the content the NRL was putting out on NRL.com. And... It, like when you look at how bad some of the articles and the writing on Fox Sports and Wild World of Sports has been in recent weeks in particular, uh, you can understand why NRL fans are pretty upset that they won't be able to just get football news on NRL.com. Uh, what was your perspective on that whole argument from the broadcasters? The broadcasters are hilarious in, in this particular regard. In that, especially with Nine, uh, given that they have a whole tier structure where they control the reporting from the television right through to your radio now. Mm-hmm. So, and a lot of it is just regurgitated. So, mm-hmm. someone will say something on 100% footy on Monday night, and that'll be reported as fact in the paper the next day. 
It'll be reported on the radio. People will be talking about it, and it's a self-generated thing. And this happens in the AFL as well. But you can see uh, that the the important thing is the NRL wanted more money. They had to be able to say they got more money, and something had to go. Mm-hmm. Something always has to give to get more money. The AFL is going to have to give up something to get more money next time around. But the NRL had to give up digital this time. Digital is a $25 million generating asset uh, as of the 2019 report, because, again, we don't know what it generated in 2020. So, you know, that that's a five-fold increase from where it was five years before. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a revenue-generating asset that they've just thrown away. Now, that said... I want to make the point here that the best reporting that you can, some of the best reporting that you can find on uh, rugby league isn't to be found in the mainstream media sites anyway. It's not to be found on NRL.com. It was never to be found in the media. There are plenty of independent guys out there that are writing stuff. And I'm not talking about me because I write very little about league. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of good, good guys out there and, you know, that are writing great stuff that people should be paying more attention to because it's not scandals that the NRL guys are chasing after. It's not it's not hyped up sensationalism that nine needs to generate feed for the rest of the week. Mm-hmm. It's good quality stuff. And people should make for should make a point of going out and finding those independent guys. Yeah, and like we push that a lot on the podcast. We always when we joke like what happens in the mainstream media is fantastic for us. Because people are looking for something different and they're looking for not only just rugby league talk, but rugby league talk that isn't that isn't backed by something, by either a financial agenda or wanting to push you into the next, you know, read the newspaper tomorrow, listen to our radio station tomorrow, you know, watch the watch what our program says on the weekend. Um, People are kind of sick of that, I think, especially when, as you say, it's we're hearing especially on channel nine we're hearing like five or six voices and it's just not enough um it's not even as though they bring in that many guests anymore which they used to do pretty well i think um and it it really is when you look at that compared to some of the incredible independent content that's been created it's just chalk and cheese and it's great to see because these independent content creators i think in the last 12 to 18 months they're starting to get that recognition for what they're writing and and their podcasts and what's been produced on youtube it's fantastic to see mm. and there should and you should it, oh, sorry it really should be encouraged mm. there should be more people out there doing their own thing and looking at the stuff that they want to see because other people are going to want to see it yeah there's a, there's a, the, the media is only going to cover what they want you to see independent guys they're going to be covering a wider range of things and they're not going to be worried about who's wearing a hat to training or who drank last night at a pub somewhere and may have drank too much one of the things i set out one of the reasons i created my account on twitter is because i I don't report on scandals yeah i don't cover I, i don't link scandal articles i literally go through i think 26 different websites in the morning find the industry related stuff and that's all i post i don't post scandal i don't have any time for it. i don't care what people do in their private lives mm. i don't care what they do outside of the financial and business side of the league people have lives i i really don't i i, I can't abide it it just annoys me yeah it's it's i know for on the podcast that like there's things that we do talk about because 
it is the the general topic in rugby league at the time. We try and look at it from a different perspective. We don't do the clickbaity stuff, for instance, that you see in the mainstream media. And I know for my website personally, uh, once upon a time I did write about the scandals and stuff like that and what was being reported in the media. And I just got to a point where I, I just I was sick of it. You know, I, I kind of like what you said. I I just got to a point where I didn't really care what was happening off the field. And, you know, if players were getting, you know, in trouble for doing, some of them were getting in trouble for serious stuff. Some of them were getting in trouble for silly stuff. And I just got sick of writing about it, quite honestly. And it's a, it's a change that I'm pretty comfortable that I made. And I made it about, I think it was about five years ago or something. Um because you just get bored of it and it takes away from the sport and sports what you follow itself. Mm. Now, um, where can we find you on Twitter? And are there other things you do apart from your Twitter feed that we can follow you on? No, really, um, I'm I'm footy industry AU. So I used to be focused solely on the footy. Uh, A couple of years ago, I started to branch out more because people kept asking me if I was – tracking other things besides, you know, uh, the AFL and Rugby League. Um, I do have a website, which is at uh, footyindustry.com. Uh, no, it's footyindustry.com, I think. So that's that's pretty much it. Outside of this, I don't really do anything worth following. I, so <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't work in the industry at all. This is strictly uh, for 10 years or so. This has just been something I've tracked and something I've tracked a lot of. And people ask a lot of questions because I maintain the data and the records for since 2008. So, and look, it's it, it's fantastic. It's so good, and it like what you do. It's really there's a couple of different Twitter accounts, especially that really seem to have things locked down, and they're the only ones that do it. Like NRL Physio is fantastic for for sports industries, mm. uh, sports in in. Uh, injuries, Injury, sorry. Yeah. Um, and you have it locked down with the business side of sport, and it's. I'd encourage everyone to go and check out your account, um, have a read through it, see how data based it is, and give you a follow because it it really is like you're the go to person on Twitter for that sort of information, and um, it's been awesome talking to you about all of these subjects i'm sure we'll have you on in the future it'd be nice if channel nine and the sydney morning Herald and 2gb and everyone could finally say that they've done the deal with the nrl oh, but, uh, it'd be nice yeah. if they'd actually give us a concrete figure for once too and just go yeah, yeah this it would is what be it is. Fantastic. we signed a deal worth this much <laughs> all i know is that it will be trumpeted as the best deal in rugby league's history no matter what Oh, I'm coming. I'm coming up to my favourite time of the year now. It's annual report time. So yeah, uh, from any time from the start of November on, yeah, that's, that's when the Twitter feed really kicks off. So, have you ever seen an annual report that was horrifying? To, like maybe a club that had such a terrible turnaround that it was just like it really <laughs> stands out in your head. Oh, you look at you can see some of the COVID ones from last year. I mean, West Coast lost like half of its revenue like entire revenue because it was all membership and attendance based mm-hmm. and they, they lost like 40 million. <laughs> like it was like, you know, that, that, that's a big thing to come back. A lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of AFL clubs, they, they suffered because of that. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of their revenues are membership and attendance based. And so they, they copped it big time last year. Yeah. 
but in terms of horrific drops, you don't you don't really see them year to year. You see them over time. Like yeah. Saint, some of St Kilda's reports are pretty ordinary reading. Uh, the Swans had a big dip last year, but I mean everyone did. I mean a lot. Of, well, not everyone. A lot of clubs did. Some clubs even made a profit last year somehow. Um, but yeah, it's uh, no. There's not been anything particularly horrific that stood out. And and on the flip side, is there a is there a club in Australian sport that's just quietly in a really rude financial position that maybe you wouldn't normally expect them to be? Like, there's obviously you've got a club like, say, the Brisbane Broncos. You expect them to be pretty well off. But is there a, a club where people don't think of them as being pretty well off that's actually pretty well off? In, in rugby league circles, not really. Most of them are predictable. I mean, uh, the interactions between clubs and leagues clubs uh, pretty much make that a, a fait accompli most of the time. Uh, people t- keep running Cronulla down. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um, Cronulla are in much better position than people seem to think. Um, they've got some pr- very promising developments on the way or being delivered right now. Um, in the AFL, North Melbourne uh, constantly run down in the media, uh, but they are debt-free pretty much. And, uh, you know, it's it's the only one in the AFL you worry about now is St Kilda. Everyone else seems to be coming out of, you know, uh, coming out of uh, debt and moving along. And I think all the clubs are... And that's helped by the NRL promising uh, like 130% of the salary cap to the clubs, which mm-hmm. is a very smart thing for the clubs to demand. Because mm-hmm. even the AFL clubs aren't getting that. The AFL clubs aren't even getting the salary cap met most of the time by the league. Wow. So, you know, the, for the NRL clubs to get 130% of the cap was a very, very smart negotiated deal because it's going to help the club, not just the mm-hmm. players. Yeah, I, I was shocked when that deal was done. It... it uh... You, you know, I just don't understand why that deal was done. I know that the it was suggested it was done for political reasons on the ARL board, and if that's the case, it's a disgrace because it's a lot of money when you you track it amongst the 16 NRL clubs and soon to be 17 NRL clubs. Um, just before you go, I wanted to ask you about the Redcliffe Dolphins. Uh, there was a lot of talk about the the a, a club that has assets. And that kept on coming up over and over again when they talked about the three main bidders. And that, to me, was when you kind of knew that it was going to be the Redcliffe Dolphins that got the the nod because it kept on being, oh, they're assets, they're assets. Um, they, have, they have got loans against those assets mm. and they have a little bit of cash reserves. But as I said, they'll be gobbled up by 14 months' worth of Wayne Bennett. Um, do you think that they were the right team to choose? And do you think that they'll be fine financially? Or or is just the fact that they're in Brisbane and they're going to have half a city that will potentially be theirs, it, that's just going to be fine for them? That's all they'll need? Well, I, th- I think they'll, for the most part, they'll be fine. Uh, I think it'll be very hard for... A- for them to begin with maybe the first year or so, but there's going to be some momentum coming through. Um, the, the NRL has produced data that says half of the fan, half of rugby league fans in Brisbane doesn't don't, don't support the Broncos. So well, they don't currently have a team to support whether that's true or not. I don't know. Um, a lot of, a lot of casual fans will never own up to supporting a team. So, <laughs> you know, or they support a Sydney team or the Gold Coast or, North Queensland or something, you know, 
but you know there, there is going to be some support there from the start and there'll be and that support will only grow over time they do have a cheap to run stadium but they're not going to play games out of it which makes no sense to me whatsoever mm-hmm. um whether that's part of a deal that they've struck uh, the nrl struck with the queensland government i don't know but um the queensland government generally may uh with at least with the afl they have arrangements to make sure that afl games are played in major stadiums and not in uh, you know, country or regional areas. So there's that. But, you know, if, if they were playing in their own stadium at home and they were, they'd make money hand over fist, but they're going to be playing at Suncorp, so they're going to be playing Suncorp rent, and that's not cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, so it puts them behind the eight ball. Look, I think they'll be fine, and for better or worse, the NRL has to support it. Otherwise, yeah. they're going to look like idiots. True. I, I look, I was shocked when, uh, like, within 24 hours, Peter Volandis was saying the Broncos and the Titans need to look after Western Brisbane because the AFL is, a, a, and I don't know, you know, if it's true or not, but he keeps on saying that the AFL is about to do this gigantic raid on Western Brisbane. And uh, all I could think of was maybe they should have expanded to Western Brisbane if that was the case, you know. If, if it's that big a problem. I mean, yeah. The AFL is not going to go anywhere. They've been trying in Queensland for since 1987. Mm. They had a, they've had a really big push on since 2000. It's kind of paid off. I think I put on Twitter the other day that in the last couple of years they've put in 95 players from Queensland into the AFL mm-hmm. for various lengths of time. Not all of them have been successful. Um, they're going to keep going. The the junior numbers are theoretically growing. Women's football is just skyrocketing. Is there a threat there? I, I talked about this with uh, Curtis Woodward a couple of weeks ago. The threat, the, there's not really a threat there at all. Mm. Ever, there's always going to, I mean, no one talks about football, uh, soccer in this regard, and soccer has by far the greater participation in, in Brisbane and uh, in Queensland in general. So, you know, worry about that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, look, I agree with you. We talked about it, I think it might have been yes, last uh, the last podcast we did where we talked about, you know, when the Brisbane Lions were winning all their premierships and that was supposedly doomsday and, it, it you know, it was fine. It didn't really affect rugby league at all. And then with the Sydney Swans, it was a similar thing. It it had no, it, like, effect on rugby league at all. It, it just seems like it's one of those things that once upon a time, because the two codes were kind of, properly meshing into each other's markets it was understandable that there was a lot of worry about it but now that we've had time to sort of sit back and see what happens it doesn't really affect either code it it just you know life goes on and nobody sort of dies because the other one's going well i don't i don't think one robs the other mm. um i know i uh, a lot of people in Melbourne who support AFL clubs, who are members of AFL clubs, who are also members of the Storm and the Melbourne Victory. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I think what hands, especially in Queensland, where there's a lot of bandwagon supporters. Mm-hmm. And what I what I firmly believe is that when the like when the lines are doing well, supporters come out of the woodwork. You've seen it start to happen again in recent years. Those people aren't necessarily former rugby league supporters. Mm-hmm. These are just more than likely they're going to be dormant AFL supporters who just have yeah. decided to start going again now the team's good and who yeah. don't want to watch crap football. 
The same mm-hmm. thing happens to the Broncos when the Broncos are losing. The crowds go down, uh, and then you know they go back up again. I, those aren't AFL people that are switching. Those are just rugby league people going, yes, I can finally go and watch a team worth playing again. The same thing happens to the Titans. You know, it's it's the same. The only place it doesn't happen really is to the Suns because the Suns don't have any support. Um, well, they have very little support, and it doesn't seem to change from year to year much. What do you think about the Gold Coast Suns and the Greater Western Sydney Giants? Because they feel like I understand why the AFL did those moves. Because the AFL doesn't have the ability to properly look at like PNG or New Zealand, uh, like most other sports in Australia do. Uh, so they have to make these moves to move into certain areas. But it feels like those two teams haven't really worked out the way that the AFL probably intends. I know they're playing an extremely long game, but, geez, I think if those two teams wound up tomorrow, I don't think too many people would really be missing them. No, I I know that's harsh, but it just feels that way. Everyone, everyone forgets that the Swans uh, took uh, the Swans started playing in Sydney in 1979, mm. and they didn't really pick up a decent audience until 1997. They didn't really become a decent size AFL club until the mid 2000s. The, this and the AFL would have known that when in the late 2000s they started putting clubs in uh, assigning clubs to GWS and the Suns. I don't think putting doing both at once was the smartest idea. I do think that Tasmania should have been one of those two clubs and they should have just gone. I actually thought it should have been the Suns and and, uh, and Tasmania at the time. Mm-hmm. I think GWS should have been a later, should have come in along with the third WA team down the track. Um, there is scope in WA for a third team for the AFL, um, given the, the rate that that city is growing in Perth and the amount of AFL support there is there, which is why I think the NRL may have missed the boat there by not going this time. Mm-hmm. And I think if the NRL's smart, instead of putting a, team, a third team in Queensland, which is, uh, sorry, another team in Brisbane, which has been talked about, mm-hmm. unbelievably talked about, um, they should be seriously looking at WA, where there is a, uh, there is a latent rugby market over there. Um, the WARL is doing wonderful work over there, Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, so I think I think you take a safe bet and you take a risky bet when you can afford it. Yeah, the safe well, bet I, makes sure you don't lose any money, and the risky bet makes sure you're actually expanding the game and not just expanding the league. Yeah, that's and that's the difference. The AFL went out to expand the game mm-hmm. and has done so in many respects, or and is still continuing to do so. It appears to me that the NRL this time went out to expand the league. Yeah. And the game is kind of an afterthought. I mean, yeah, it's great that they've, they're forcing the club to spend $2 million on development. But how much $2 million is going to get you in terms of development by the time you've built facilities and spent money on coaches and everything else mm-hmm. is another story. There's a reason yeah. the AFL handles development for the clubs and not the, uh, not the clubs themselves. Anyway... It- it's uh yeah look one one last question I'm sorry I've kept you for so long no, um, the if if it was up to you the next place for the NRLs Perth for for certain yeah, it's it's a city that's rapidly approaching the same size as Brisbane in population 
Yeah. It has no NRL team. There is some support there for rugby league. Um, they get a lot of South Africans over there. They do get, I mean, yes, there's a union side over there. I think they really missed the boat when uh, the force were kicked out of super rugby. I agree. They should have been right in there. But that, that, that should have been, hang on, hang on, Andrew. Hang on, we're coming. We, we need you over here, mate. <laughs> uh, but they didn't do that. And I think they really missed the boat there. And I think a lot of people feel the same way. Um, I think I think you've got to make, it might, have, it might even be too late for that now. Yeah. The Force have a decent following. They're back in Super Rugby. Um, I think I think that ship might have sailed now. But you've got to try. You've got to at least try. <laughs> like, yeah. You can't be flying over there once every two or three years to play a game and go, well, that's there's not enough people for that game. Yeah. Same thing they did in South Australia. They fly over here once or twice a year, if we're lucky. And then they go back and go, well, there's not enough support to put a team over there. But you don't really try. You don't put any promotion into it. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Although I have to say that it felt like they were starting to move a little bit more on Adelaide and then COVID kicked in and, and then Origin, the Origin move was put off a little bit and it, it, like everything's changed after COVID. But uh, maybe that's a that's a question for another day. Anyway, look, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I'd love to talk to you again in the future, maybe about the wider um australian sporting landscape and it's been really fascinating to have a chat with you and and get your thoughts on what's going on in the uh nrl especially with its broadcasting deal no worries anytime thanks very much and thanks for everyone for listening